The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and I have a great guest for us today. Uh, many of you know her. She's well known in the UK and in the Twitter verse, Twitter universe, I guess. Uh, she has been involved in culture, digital, publishing, wearables, and all sorts of tech sectors. Uh, she truly is a driving force behind the acclaimed and world trending campaigns, including at Museum Selfie, at Ask a Curator, and Museum Week and Love Theater. I am talking, of course, about Mar Dixon. And I am looking forward to having this great opportunity to uh, bring Mar to all of you today. So without further ado, Mar, welcome to the show. Hi, and thank you very much. Great intro. Uh, Well, you're very welcome. I've been following you for uh, quite some time, and I am thrilled to have this opportunity to get to know you better. Mar, one of the things I do with all of my guests, as you know, is ask them to share their own career trajectory. And if you could perhaps uh, identify those things that have been most influential in terms of how you approach your current work. Uh, that's, a, that's a funny one, because my background has nothing to do with museums or anything to do with culture. My background is actually computer science. Um, but I, you know, growing up with this big family, we didn't really go to museums unless it was a, a educational trip. Um, and then when I moved to the UK and I had my daughter and a lot of the museums here are free. And I started go, taking um, my daughter, Charlotte, to, to these museums and kept going, well, how come other you know, parents aren't doing this? Or why aren't other families here? And then I started seeing why not. Like the stroller didn't fit in some of the doors and there's no place to actually change, you know, change her if, I, if it needs to be done. Um, she's 13 years old, so you're going back 12, 13 years with this. Uh, so I just started kind of sharing and blog, uh, blogging about it because I um, was always on, like, message boards and bulletin boards and things like that. Um, and then social media happened, and I just transitioned over to social media, and, and um, it just kind of exploded, to be quite honest with you. I, 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 I don't think I do anything different. I think I just I, I just overshare. <laughs> 
Well, I think I think that's fabulous. I mean, certainly don't be uh, apologetic. Many of us have come to the museum field from uh, far field. I I uh, was trained as a biologist and uh, came came through that door. As I like to say, you know, I was a was a scientist by training and curator by accident. But yes. uh, but once you you bite the bug, you know, one of the things that I find very interesting uh, with your background is is that you came to it as a uh, as a mother and yep. as a, you know so if we were going to be very highbrow of course we would call that as a facilitator you are facilitating learning uh, which of course is just another name for mom uh, yeah well I will say that that kind of cra- does crack me up because um, I've always said I never actually taught Charlotte anything if anything she has taught me things because I've always just felt I mean I was brought up this way where exposure was was half the battle Um, and just letting people know that they are allowed to go into these places and you know you don't have to you know wear a suit or a dress to go there uh, makes such a difference and for me and for for Charlotte it was just like okay let's let's make a game of this and see you know if there's one thing in this room that we like if not we go to the next room and, you know, sometimes we didn't like anything and we, we, we just liked the cake and that was fine. Um, and, it, and it was just that allowance of, and that permission, which I said, I, I was kind of brought up with that mentality of like, you know, it's up to you. you. You are allowed to have your own opinion on this and don't let somebody make you feel intimidated if you don't look at art long enough. Um, and like I said, now Charlotte kind of teaches me things on, on how I'm doing, um, you know, with, when we go to museums. Or, and then the interesting thing now is now that she's 13 and we don't really go to museums as much together, the dialogue that we might have together kind of makes me realize that, yes, she actually did pick stuff up along the way, which is kind of cool. That's interesting. Can you share one of the things that you've learned from her now? Well, it's, it's just like when she's at school now and she's learning things and, you know, in, about history or, or, or even in art classes and the dialogue that she'll have either with the teacher or she'll come back and, and tell us, you, you just know that it was that background knowledge that she had from a visit event, you know, from, from a prior visit that, that kind of stood out and nothing, nothing like earth shattering, shattering, but it does make you realize that it's these little steps that make the bigger steps easier. For when they get older. Oh, I I agree with you completely. I think that that's one of the challenges that we have in uh, defending or defining the sort of the museum effect is that it not only can it be subtle, but it it uh, it pops up in the strangest places. Mar, I just I have to ask you this, just so that you know that we ground things a little bit. Of course, Museum Life has an international audience, but there are quite a, a number of listeners from the United States and and you are in in the UK as many of my guests are uh, what is the policy now if there is one for uh, say school groups to visit museums I know in this country it has become very very challenging because of so many cuts to funding yeah. and buses and things I was just wondering if you've had similar experience well keep in mind I don't work for a museum so I'm, I I'm talking about my own experience here and when you're in a city such as uh, London, Manchester, or Birmingham here in the UK, it's a little bit easier to to have a school go to a museum, especially since lots of them are free. However, we live out in the countryside. Um, I, I live in a, in a county called Shropshire. And for my daughter to attend a, a museum, the nearest one, you have to take a bus to. So already I'm at 15 pounds. <laughs> so every, every student has to pay 15 pounds, even if it's a free museum that they're going to. 
not a lot of parents can afford that. So we're starting to see more creative things such as Museum in a Box and some some uh, museums who are doing outreach and actually going into schools and doing things. But definitely for, for, for my area, I, I noticed that the, the amount of school trips that Charlotte has been asked to go on to museums has decreased as she's gotten older. But that's been across the board for every age group. Interesting. Yeah. And like if you're in London, the great thing is you go to a museum for free and your transport is free. So you, the kids get to go on the London tube for free or in the buses for free. So it's a great advantage for, for cities like that. And I'm not taking away from that. I think that's an absolutely wonderful thing. Um, but yeah, so there there has been discussions about how we can defend this, like you said, with the cuts, because, you know, a lot of outreach um, and, and educational teams are just shrinking in size right now. So the, the, the museums just don't have the, the manpower to, to do what is needed. Uh, but the, the recognition is there that it is important that the museum's collection is vital in learning and education. Um, so, you know, we're, we're slowly chipping away at this battle, but like the U.S. and other countries, it's, it's not a problem that's going to be solved overnight. Yes, I, I agree with you. Um, but and and even though uh, I mean, you are so self-deprecating uh, that you don't work in a museum, your <laughs> your impact in the museum field is is being felt uh, significantly. And, and one of those has been a great campaign that I enjoy thoroughly. And that is the I Love Museum campaign. Yeah, that is actually uh, a campaign that Jim Richardson and I, now Jim Richardson is is my car- partner in crime for a lot of things. He actually started Ask a Curator Day, and I've sort of taken it over from there. Um, and I Love uh, Museums is actually a campaign that was uh, brought up with all these cuts that are happening. And the national directors, museum directors here in the UK asked if there was a way that a campaign could be started to get people to to take it seriously. Um and the idea was to not be negative and scare people with, you know, museum closures because that's happening all the time. And we kind of we kind of get numb to that. We kind of hear about libraries closing and museums closing and here, you know, at the NHS here in the UK under threats. So we thought let's do a positive spin on it. And so I love museums and it um, with culture themes. I've run have run why I love museums a few times and it's always a very, very popular hashtag. People just do love museums and, and it's given them that platform to say why. And that's sort of the idea that was behind I Love Museums, is asking people to actually sign a petition behind tweeting about it. Um, and it's been, I think there's over 6,000 people who have signed up so far. So it's, it's, it's making an impact. So if someone from... Um, uh, Oh, I, you know, from uh, a different country. I mean, I've had, uh, I have a very wonderful colleague uh, at the Children's Museum in Jordan, and I'm sure she would feel uh, that I was remiss if I didn't ask you how others can get involved or start their own I Love Museum campaign in their own region. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the current I Love Museums is really uh, based about the UK, about signing the petition, but we're encouraging international people to say why they love museums and to get involved uh, that way and to use it as a platform for their own country if they like and maybe their own uh, petition if if that would be helpful for them but we you know with with the amount of followers that are already there and and the amount of um, community that's already been existing there and it is international because basically you know, like you, no matter what I do, I can't. I can't stay local. <laughs> if, if I if I share it, it's going to go out to an international crowd. Uh, so it's it's not a negative with that one. I, and I think people just take ownership of it the way they need to take ownership of it. 
Uh, great. So I, I would uh, recommend that everyone uh, look for a hashtag uh, I Love Museum and, and see just the wonderful and heartfelt uh, petitions and drawings and uh, stories that are going along uh, on that wonderful uh, project. I think we do need to harness it and share it with our uh, our our. Uh, our politicians and our government agencies so that they yes. understand that it's not simply uh, bodies through the door, but it's this very strong, heartfelt connection to each other and to their community through their museums. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I, um, several weeks ago, um, probably a month ago now, I ha- I interviewed Leslie Bedford, a very good friend of mine, and she had just returned from the reimagining uh, the museum conference in Buenos Aires, and uh, she was singing your praises. In fact, that was another reason that uh, I wanted to get you on the show so badly. So I just, if you would be kind enough, um, just if you could just share your experiences at this amazing conference. Yeah, it truly was amazing. Um, yeah, I was asked to speak on a panel with uh, Luis Mendez from Brazil. Um, and, uh, I was talking about audience engagement and, and like I said, it was on a panel with, uh, four other people and Rob Stein was another person who was on the panel. And, um, I was also asked if I would help, uh, run a mini museum camp there. So a little unconference within the conference and, uh, help them build a manifesto, uh, for the, uh, for the conference itself. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was a, it was really eye-opening and inspiring and um you know some of the issues were the same that you hear internationally uh but meeting the 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 people and the uh seeing the the work that's being done was yeah really really inspiring um can you give a, a specific example there are people who when we talk here about doing stuff with no resources we sort of mean we have a low budget uh, or we, we have a you know a minimal budget, and some of the spe- uh, speakers were talking about having absolutely no resources and using their own um, money to 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 do to do things. Uh, there's uh, you know a museum who's trying to do the stories about the the revolutions that are happening there and getting the stories and, cl- and going out and talking to people who have been involved in the. It seems to be like in Argentina and Brazil, because I was in, in, in both countries at the time, there seems to be an oppression of their, their, the, the politics is just beating them down so much, but they still get back up. They always get back up, no matter what's going on as, as, a, as citizens of that country, they try to fight back. And it was, it was heartfelt to hear some of the stories that they were, they were referring to with that one. Um, I can't remember exactly specifics of it, but there was like two or three people who were talking to, and you can see, you just want to, you, you know, you just want to grab their energy and, and just say, just go with it. Let me know how I can help you even more. Um, and throughout the, the process of the unconference, it was interesting to hear because I, I ran in con- conferences, I guess in seven countries now. Um, and it did, it did seem very much like, you know, every time you had a you know, discussion with somebody, it would be like, oh, well, you know, my manager would say no. And it, would, it my question is always, but have you actually asked? Uh, no, because they're going to say no. <laughs> you just keep going around in circles with this. And um, so, so it was like trying to get their energy and their, their confidence up to, to make some changes that, you know, that won't cost anything, but, you know, will help, help engage with the public a little bit more. Um, but 
because of the lack of jobs and 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 threat that they're under, uh, they're afraid to try anything. So it, it, it they're they're running into that dangerous pitfall of because they're not char- trying anything, they're gonna they're gonna be old and nobody's gonna go to them anyway. Um, so yeah, it was lo- lots of little conversations and and the manifesto kind of pulled out some of these things also. Well, I I want to get into the manifesto, if you don't mind, but before we do, uh, uh, so that I don't uh, cut that short, we're going to break just uh, probably a minute early, and when we come back, more with Mar Dixon. As you can tell, uh, this is a force to be reckoned with in the museum world, and we are all uh, benefiting from her energy. So please stay tuned. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We will be back in a moment. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. The Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel, from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to museum life. 
Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and today I'm talking with Mar Dixon. Mar, as many of you know, is uh, one of the forces, along with uh, Jim uh, Richards, talking about uh, several hashtags on Twitter, uh, as a curator, and I love museums. Uh, Mar is a true force to be reckoned with, a great museum professional uh, and advocate. And Mar, right before we went to break, we were talking, you were sharing a little bit about the uh, recent conference and uh, uh, at Bren- in Buenos Aires. And uh, you mentioned a manifesto that is that is going to be coming out of that. Now, I understand that the manifesto has not yet been published, and I don't want you to give away anything <laughs> that is an inappropriate uh, until that becomes published. So, yeah. But if you could just share Share with us the purpose, perhaps, of the manifesto, sure. and then where we will be able to get that information. Sure. So the idea behind the manifesto was that we wanted to get a flavor of what people felt the current issues were, or you know, what changes that they they feel is needed. Um, and we set up uh, a couple of anonymous boxes around around the conference with sticky notes. Got to love post-it notes. Um, and just ask people to to write down what their ideas were, and every day we mean we had a, I had a couple of translators because um, one of those rude people who only speak English, um, and we would go through and kind of evaluate who was saying what, and it it was quite neat because by the end of the third day or by the middle of the third day, we had a nice little chunk ten ten little issues that were going around that you can absolutely see where people were coming from. And it was either, say, say they were talking about, well, let's say funding, because funding is always going to be an issue. So say they were talking about funding. Some of them were saying that they needed more funding, whereas other people were saying that they ne- there needs to be less emphasis on funding. So it still went under the funding heading, but we kind of let it loose. We kind of let it just, we didn't tighten up anything. And then at the afternoon of the third day, we everybody, all 500 candidates and delegates came back into their room and I made them get into groups of 10 and they had to come up with a statement for whatever group they were in. So each group got one of the headings for the manifesto and each group then had to come up with a, a strong sentence, a manifesto stent- sentence for that type of saying. And it was it was really empowering for them because they then felt part of the process um, and they got to choose what group that they wanted to go to. And we were very honest about you know who, who was speaking where and we did it in English and in Spanish. So, you know, it, it was cross culture on that aspect. And um, yeah, so it, so we ha- we got it down to narrowed it down to 10. And I think the delay was one. Some of them were stronger than the others. Some of them were, you know, uh, a, a manifesto in, its, in itself when it came to the sentence. And other ones were just like five words. So I think they've been trying to find out how to balance it out and still give ownership to the people who created the sentence. I see. And and uh, so it will be published uh, at some point? Yes, on the, re, uh, the Reimaging Museum's website. So uh, uh, TIPA's website, it'll be on. 
Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, I w- will just remind my uh, listeners that when I spoke with Leslie Bedford uh, in October, she also gave a really good uh, description of the uh, conference and TIPA. And uh, so mm-hmm. I, w- I would encourage everyone to listen to that one as well as sort of a, a balancing act. Um, Mar, I'd like you, if you could, uh, you have not only uh, been involved in the reimagining the museum conference, but also in several of the museum next conferences. Uh, The first one of of, uh, that type of conference was also brought here uh, to Indianapolis a a few months ago. I was wondering, I mean, both of them are relatively small as conferences go, you know, 500 or 800 people compared to, say, the four or 5,000 at some of the other museum conferences. Uh, Other than that, is there any comparison? I mean, they both seem to be very high energy uh, conferences. Perhaps that's just because you're there. Uh, Well, I I have to admit, Museum Next has always been my favorite one. Um, It's just something about the, there's such a diverse amount of people there. So it goes anything from students to interns to retirees to, you know, professionals and directors on up and everything in between. And everybody talks to everybody, whereas you find with some conferences, like the directors only talk to the directors and the interns are kind of left over to the side, standing by the wall. Um, And this one, it's never had that. It's always had that wonderful vibe where nobody was ever left alone on their own to their own devices unless they wanted to be. Um, And there's a lot of lovely discussions and great speakers, but there's also a lot of fringe events. So there's a lot of opportunities to network with people, which is one of the most important things when it comes to conferences is to, to, to network and to find new people to, to engage with and follow. And some conferences you're sitting there for almost eight hours other than lunch. And, and then you go home and you just like, I don't, I never even got to met anybody, but the person next to me, you know, um, Whereas with, with Museum Next, that actually is folded into the program, which is, you know, one of the unique things about it. Um, and I was very pleased that it went to Indianapolis. Um, I, I sort of helped facilitate th- that conversation because I was in Indianapolis um, as a speaker there and um, just love what they're doing. Love how Indianapolis Museum of Art is is forward thinking Scott Stolen, who I'm sure you know about. And uh, Sylvia Filipponi, Filatini, I can never say her name are doing wonderful, imaginative, creative things at the IMA right now. And I just thought, that is the museum next vibe. <laughs> that is thinking outside the box, but still still staying within the sector, but it's thinking outside the box and being creative. And I came back and I talked to Jim and I was like, hey, Jim, like, you know, I really think that we should, you know, you should look into doing museum next there. It's, it's not my program, it's Jim's. And um, so, yeah, it was it was great that it worked out and it was great that the, the you know, the people from the States and from Canada and, you know, and other countries, uh, felt it was worthwhile to to fly out and see it and um yeah as far as i know they might be working on museum next version two in the states uh, but i'm not quite sure i know we have doubling coming up next Right, right. Yes, I had Jim on the program a while ago, and he was, you know, sort of he was hedging his bets about uh, doing another one in the U.S. But he was hopeful, uh, and certainly we're hoping that Museum Next will uh, come back to the side of the pond, as they say. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I know I'm digressing a little bit, but I have been fascinated uh, recently about this sort of this this phenomenon we have uh, as as adult learners. Uh, 
You know, we talk a lot about in museums, particularly about informal learning and and place based learning. And and uh, my colleagues who are are uh, work in museum education are always coming up with creative ways for uh, young people to learn together in these unique museum environments. But then. As museum professionals, we go to a conference and we, as you say, we sit in these rows of chairs and we listen to a few people talk. And if we're lucky, we'll say hello to the person next to us, although yeah. often that person is is uh, much more intent on their phone or their iPad. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, you've talked a little bit about um, the importance of networking, but in looking at this sort of adult learning environments, what would be, you know, if you you could create the you know the the perfect uh, adult learning environments with a under the bre- umbrella of conference. What would be some of the things that you'd like to see? I so, so not conference related, but one thing that we've done here, and it's sort of it's sort of related to drinking about museums. But here in the UK, we call it um, drink sting. Um, and the reason we don't call it drinking about museums is because it is with tech people and um museum people and publishing people um and once a month we meet up in london and we just like we started off in a pub and now we get invited to events like we've been at the science museum and we've been at the royal academy and we've also been at twitter uk and um but it's just it's just that really informal platform to say nobody's selling here nobody's doing anything but just talk and if you came in the room with somebody don't sit there next to them you got to find somebody else to go and talk to and it's making these sort of platforms that, that slowly, and, and we, from we've been doing this for about two three years now. And from it, we've we've had you know museum books that were published by the people that they met at these these places at these informal places, and we just don't give ourselves as adults that permission to just relax every once in a while and just turn off and say you don't have to be selling yourself right now. Um, and through the not selling part is when people do relax and the, the real conversations can then happen. Uh, conferences don't really allow that platform a lot of times. It, it, they, they, because you, you spend a lot of money to attend these conferences and you're expected to get X, Y, and Z out of it, you don't feel that you, you can shut off and be yourself. You, you're your professional self, but you're not your actual self. And I think that kind of takes away from it. I, I, I think there's um, there's a fundamental flaw in how that's working right now. Um, luckily, I I don't I don't really care about the professionalism of it. So my ambition's never really there. So I can go up and talk to anybody, and I'll, I'll kind of get the conversation going, which makes it a lot easier for the people who are in the room um, at that point. But yeah, I, I I don't know what the answer is. I just think we need to to relax and not always be, you know, just because we're a group of museum people does not mean we have to talk about museums. You know, let's talk about how socks go missing in the laundry or talk about the stuff that everybody's talking about and get back to being human. And then the other stuff will happen organically. And that's just not happening. That is, that's a very interesting, uh, uh, way of putting it, uh, you know, I've often thought that it was just because we were sitting in in chairs and uh, and wearing really uncomfortable clothing, uh, you know, the clothing that you have to wear for the conference. But yeah. what I, what I'm hearing you say is that there has. And this is probably true in every profession, but um, yeah. there seems to be that sort of professionalism 
uh, that uh, where you can't just uh, um, not only share about yourself, but perhaps even share some of the things that maybe aren't going so well. Yeah, I mean, we we have that tendency here now to call it the failing forward, which I absolutely hate. Absolutely can't stand that wording of failing forward. I think it's just sharing the stuff that didn't work for you, but it might work for somebody in Ohio. And that's what the ignorance of the word failure is to me. That's interesting. Now, and this word failing forward is that uh, I've heard that too. It's uh, it's uh, often an, uh, used in uh, the context of entrepreneurs or designers, per, yes. you know, that that we have to, I mean, and, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show and all, most of my listeners know I was trained as a research scientist. And so we know that the experiment won't work well the first time, but the goal of the experiment is to then generate more questions and more experiments, so it's not like you're really done. Perhaps that's what we're, uh, this this sense of over-professionalization perhaps Mm -hmm. is just the sense that we feel like we have to be done. Yeah, or we have to be perfect. And that, and I think that's when that's when I keep going, yeah, but the public can smell that we're not perfect, guys. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let, let's show them that we are normal people, and then we can stop with that elitist comment that we always get. Um, but it's a battle I've been doing for about five years now, and, you know, that's what Museum Selfie Day was about. This is what, you know, most of my, I mean, the, the you know, museum hashtags that I do are supposed to show the public that we do have a fun side. Um and you know, God bless the museums for for putting up <laughs> for putting up with this because you know sometimes sometimes for some museums it's very painful for them, but they know it's more painful if they didn't get involved in it because then the public will be asking why are you not you know involved in this hashtag that is trending. So it's a, a little bit of backwards peer pressure that's happening on my end now, but you know for the better of the the, the sector. Uh, yes, I I I agree with you, and I. Uh, I've said on this show, and it certainly isn't a secret, that museums do tend to be on uh, the glacial edge of change. Uh, we seem to be an industry that that is, has the commonality of wanting to be increasingly risk-averse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I, I'm wondering, what are some of the other suggestions that you can make for museum professionals who want to change the way they're doing business, perhaps within in their own institution? Yeah, so, so what I usually try to say to people, especially at conferences and things, is my favorite slide has always been um, ask forgiveness, not permission, because that's basically one of my mottos in life. Um, you know, if you're doing something with good intentions and your heart is in the right place, you might get your hand smacked for doing something. But as long as you're doing it within the guidelines of what you think the museum uh, mission is, and then I have to get into my soapbox speech about museum missions being outdated, but not all of them. <laughs> um, but as long as you're doing something with the, you're good with good intentions, especially when it comes to social media, you know, just try different things and play around with it. And your audience will be more uh, forgiving if they know that you're trying something and you say, oh, that didn't work, rather than we're going to perfect it before we go out and show anybody. We're, we're done with that. We're in a prototype world now. We're in a research and development era anyway. And the public is so used to hearing these words now, not just from museums, but in, you know, in, in the general news, uh, uh, news uh, broadcasters are using these words. So why can't we be research and development and trying different things and saying that didn't work for us, but hey, this might work for you? Um, and, and sharing the, the, the knowledge along the way and not sharing in a case study way, but just going, you know, we tried this, it didn't work. 
Um, but you know, it might work for a nonprofit charity, you know, or it might work for something else, but it just didn't work for our sector. And what's funny is other sectors do this, but we don't because we still feel like we cannot show any mistakes. Um, the other thing that I always encourage people to do is to, we, yeah, there's, there's a couple of hashtags that are out there like Muse Social and Muse Tech. And it's an international hashtag and people do a lot of sharing and they do a lot of asking of questions and they do a lot of reporting back of what they're, what they're working on. And usually if somebody says to me, you know, I want to try something out of my museum, but I just think it'll fall flat because it's just my museum doing it. I'll, I'll tell them, get in contact with me and I'll contact with another, a couple of other museums and we'll see if collectively we can do something on the same day, like maybe four or five of us. So you're not in it alone. You know, the four of us can do it together with you. Um, and that usually softens the blow if it didn't work for them. And I'm always up for trying new things. Wonderful. That's great. Uh, we're going to take our second break. And when we come back, more uh, very insightful and important information from Mar Dixon. So stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a moment. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossard for Museum Life, and I'm here today talking with Mar Dixon. And, you know, the the fabulous thing about Mar is she's not afraid to uh, uh, really 
I guess, criticize with love uh, <laughs> our our beloved profession. Who uh, you know, we we have a tendency to be a tad stodgy, and I think we've always felt that that was perhaps just a dirty little secret within our own profession. But the truth is, is that everybody else knows it too. So we might as well just be ourselves and realize that uh, uh, we are involved in our our profession because we love it. That uh, we feel that it's incredibly important, and we want to share. It, and uh, that means we need to be breaking down our barriers a little bit. And before we went on break, Mar was sharing with us some of the ways uh, that we can begin to do that. Um, Mar, I did you want to talk about the uh, fifty two uh, mu- uh, museum project? Yeah, sure. That's that's one of the the latest one. I mean, there's a few things happening right now. We have you know uh, Museum Selfie Day is back for June January twentieth. Sorry, uh, so that's been gearing up. Uh, and then uh, a friend of mine does something called 52 Quilters. And it's basically on Instagram once a week, a new new person who quilts takes over the account. And um, I was listening to him. And I'm like, that's a, that's a really good idea. And <laughs> I just woke up the next morning, created the account for 52 museums and did a sign-up sheet. And we had 72 museums in 12 countries uh, sign up. And the essentially the idea is one every week a new museum is going to take over the account. And it's going to be international. And the idea is that people who aren't taking over the account that week will support the person who is taking over. And they can talk about their collection or they can talk about things that are happening in their community, which is what you know we're really encouraging. Um, places like Andy Warhol uh, Museum uh, contacted me and said, you know, we want to do this with four other museums in Pittsburgh. Fantastic. Great. Not you know, for, so for one week it'll be really Pittsburgh intense, um, and yeah. So it's it's the list sort of went out today. The draft email sort of went out today to everybody, and it's been wonderful because certain dates I I couldn't give everybody their first date, obviously. Um, and you know, I con- they contacted me and said, you know, can I swap dates with so and so? And I'm like, go ask them. And they did it off their own back, and I just said, get back to me so I know who, who has the account that week. Um, but already this through the, the emails tonight, it's been like Italy has been talking to the United States museums and, you know, university museums talking to archaeological museum and see if they can pair up. And so it's hopefully the idea is for for a year long on Instagram, um, museums will have a, a platform to, to highlight stuff. Not that they can't do it without this account, but the fact that it'll be not their own account. So it won't be the Natural History Museum's account. It won't be the V&A account. It'll be this special account where they can have a little bit more freedom to, to, to play and see what the public is asking them. I that is a fabulous idea, and I think get underscores your uh, recommendations for pairing with other organizations, and certainly uh, provides a sense of scale. You know, yeah. a, a single. Uh, there are many, many museums that have Instagram accounts and are using that as a way to connect on social media. But I dare say, with all of these museums con- uh, connecting and collaborating on this uh, one project, there will be even greater bud, uh, buzz and yeah. uh, infiltration. No, uh, exactly. And also, the their audience, each everybody's audience. Because what will happen is the Natural History Museum or um, the Hershey Museum, uh, uh, Smithsonian Museum will say, you know, we're taking over this account this week. And then the next week, those people have that person's uh, audience already. And then they build on their own audience. So by the end of the year, it's going to be quite a massive 
production and I still don't know if we're going to go for plan two uh, I'm already being asked about year two and I keep saying can we can we start year one <laughs> just let me let me get let's get to January and then we might be able to discuss this but it's been really exciting and um, Instagram's fully aware of it so they might be able to support us a bit on this also uh, and I'll, it'll also be running on Twitter also I gotta I, I'll emphasize both of those um uh, the two accounts will be synonymous. I guess some, some people might decide to whatever they Instagram will go directly to Twitter and other people might try Twitter first and then Instagram. But yeah, the idea is that, you know, hopefully over the 52 weeks, we get more collaboration more museums talking to each other. Maybe some museum who, do, who doesn't have Instagram will sign up because they saw a collection that's like theirs and um, the conversation can, can continue after the week is over. And what's so wonderful about this as well is is that the size of the museum doesn't matter. Absolutely not. It it was very, very conscious of me when I was going through the list, because we do have a waiting list, that I did not just put the unknowns on the waiting list. I made sure that, you know, very small collections and one I believe is a volunteer group uh, with a one-room collection has a week also. And that to me is so important that everybody recognizes that on social media, the voice is the same. You know, and, and that's uh, another uh, issue that we have been dealing with on, on this program, and I know others have as well, is that uh, while large institutions are fabulous, uh, they, they have so many things that they can do, and of course they often hold uh, uh, huge amounts of uh, patrimony and national memory, but it's those smaller organizations, yeah. the ones that are in our neighborhoods, where we exactly. could, you know, like a library, where we could visit on a routine basis, yeah. uh, those are the ones that I think uh, really really can make an impression and of course can do riskier things they sort of fly under the radar i feel bad for nationals because they they are under the microscope whereas with the smaller ones and 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 media ones nobody's really watching them so they can be a little bit more ambitious in, in things that they're trying yes their budget is just as you know very short but if they look at some of the things especially here in the uk a lot of the nationals have to share what they're doing um, and places like the VNA and Andrew Lewis are, are brilliant with the blogging and sharing everything, you know, from, from the tech side to the ABCs on how they uh, how they did certain things. And they make it in a way where it's scalable for a medium and smaller one to try it on their own budget. So they took the risk out of these things for for them. Um, but the thing is, you know, the, the smaller mid ones never get the press. So people will forget that they exist. So things like this, like 52 museums and, 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 uh, and other projects like Museum Selfie Day and Ask a Curator Day, when, when the press contact me, I make sure I'm never talking about the nationals because they'll, they'll get the press anyway. So I always make sure I'm trying to talk about those mid- middle ones who I know that it's, it's one person is probably in their pajamas tweeting at night, <laughs> you know, because they've worked all day and they're still going through it because the American uh, audience just got online. Um, they're the ones that, that mean the most to me and that we need to, 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 to praise and to, to say thank you to all the time. That's wonderful. Now, I've, uh, your, your website is, uh, I guess it's more your Twitter site, uh, is, is quite fabulous. Uh, I, I was quite uh, taken, I, another issue that I'm very in, uh, involved in right now is is uh, mentoring and working with uh, merging museum professionals. And something you said recently really struck my eye, which is you say that, you know, one needs to go into the museum uh, field uh, wide open, that the choice is more about passion than pay. Uh, 
and you know on the one hand i think that that is is true and we can't deny it on the other hand i feel that we as a as as museum workers need to try to be a little uh advocate a little better about having living wages if we don't we're never going to be able to attract the diversity of audience and we will continue to be as you know a small privileged elite that's able to live on nothing I, I, I agree with you, but I think uh, speaking from somebody in the UK, the, the cuts that we're getting, it's just, you know, it, it's it's really, really difficult when you're having a conversation with somebody and they're, and they're saying about the tax, style, or the tax um, pounds going to the NHS or national health insurance rather than a museum. And you can't fight them because, you know, health insurance is so, uh, one of the main things about this country is the NHS and how wonderful it is, even though it's a little bit broken, it's still a wonderful resource. So when we're talking about that here, it's a different conversation than if I was in the States. Or so, uh, and so this is what you have to remember. I, although I'm American, I've been here for 15 years. I, you know, I, I tend to speak of things that I'm seeing in my, when I'm, when I'm here that's uh that is a point well taken uh it's to me it's unfortunate that we have uh gotten into situations where we have to make be making these sort of draconian either or choices absolutely and i and i usually try to avoid those conversations but you know if somebody says to me do you, do you want my grandma to go into a nursing home or or go to a museum it's like you know don't that, 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 that's like an unfair comment, but I can see where they're coming from, especially because um, our taxes work differently here. You know, basically in the States, there's 50 different countries, you know, because every tax, every, every state has its own tax system. Um, so, so it's hard to say what the one solution is going to be there unless it's going to be a federal amendment to, to how that can, can work. And um I, I don't feel comfortable talking about that because I don't know what the situation is. Sure. No, no, understandable. And it is, it's uh, probably, uh, it is a broader uh, uh, discussion um, about uh, funding and support. And, and of course, we run into it all the time when we talk about uh, uh, the challenges of making institutions uh, uh, free admission. Uh, yeah. And many on, uh, several of my guests on, on my show have, have talked about different uh, options and i think the safe thing to say is that there is no one uh answer there is it and it, i think that's kind of frustrates me a little bit it's like um even even when we're talking about people do trying different things there is no one answer you just got to take that part of the answer that is relevant to you and and run with it so if if an admissions fee is relevant to you then you have to talk to your community and find out what that fee should be set at if you can get away with it being free because you have a philanthropist who's helping you out or you have some kind of funding that can help you out, then that's great too. But don't assume that that's the one solution. That's why, you know, when we see, you know, newspaper articles in the New York times and things like that, it just frustrates me because it's not, it's not for everybody. Like, they, you know, they might be talking about say one museum. They was talk about the IMA again, who, who went from free to, to, to charging. And you have Dallas who went from charging to free but is that going to work in Boston? Will that work in Hawaii? Do they forget that there's 50 states when they're talking about these one solutions? And it just, yeah. So, and I do tend to do really well with keeping my mouth shut on it, but it clearly not when I'm on the radio with you. <laughs> no, and I don't mean, no, I don't mean to get you in trouble. Uh, certainly. Um, I, I can do that, you know, well enough on my own. Or I don't, I don't need you to get me in trouble. 
um, but 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 seriously, you you bring up another point, um, and that is that we we as a field don't do a particularly good job in communicating our messages to the press. Yes. And so you have articles, uh, well-written and well-intentioned articles written in the Times or the, the L.A. Times or the Boston Globe. And it, it, they, but they seem to create these things that are monoliths or yes. uh, don't get deep enough into the project. Or they talk only about the architecture and forget about some of the community activities. Um, is, uh, how, are, how would you advise um, museums or, or individuals to try to get their word out a little bit better? Uh, is it, uh, see, you're going to get me in trouble again. It's well known that I have an issue with press and marketing um, sitting where social media is because it's two different types of voices. And I think the, I don't think it's the press and marketing fault, but what I do think is people aren't listening to the community, which has the wonderful stories about why they're actually going to these museums and what they love about it. They might grab a quote off of a person who's visiting, but they're actually not listening to what they're actually saying that was the engaging part of it. Cause they've already depressed the people already sort of had their script done. Um, so when it comes to these articles that are being written, they have, they usually tend to do a lot of research on these articles. I mean, I, I get interviewed a lot and I, you know, I'll talk for 40 minutes and they'll use one line and then spell my name wrong. So, you know, there's, I don't think there's any way about it other than word of mouth and getting your local community to start talking about you and, and, and work it that way. I mean, that's, that's sort of how I got into the press was because all the museums are talking about these hashtags. They had to figure out who was starting them. They didn't come to me first. They came to the people that they were listening to. So that's probably the, the, one of the things I say to small and medium museums is to, to get your community to start becoming your advocate to make sure that they're shouting it loud enough to where the, the local press can't ignore it. Yeah, and that, I think, underscores another, uh, 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 certainly, I think, uh, another point, and you, you certainly are a, um, uh, an advocate of this as well, is that by being honest and open uh using social media not to perhaps market your your the hours that you're open or the services you provide but to actually create conversations and yeah. and create a community then perhaps will uh break down those those um impressions uh sort of the um uh the caricature perhaps yeah. the stereotypes of the museum i i usually say to people if, they're, if we're talking about social media, if I could find your information on your website, do not tweet or Instagram it because I can get to your website. I can Google you, right? So I want the information about the behind the scenes stuff, the storytelling about these objects and what your, you know, what cake is in the cafe today. I do not want your opening and closing times. I do not know, want to know what event is on unless I ask you. And that's, that's, that's the social aspect that people totally forget with social media is if I want to know what events are on today, I will tweet you and say, you know, hey, what's on today? I'm going to visit. Um, but as long as your your web address is listed, but 10 to 1, I'm going to Google you first. So I'm going to come through Google anyway. Um, so your, your social media should be about that social things. Unless you're doing really cool things like the Science Museum has a has a this, uh, the thing tomorrow night principle about the guy. Um, oh, God, I can't forget, remember his name. The astronaut who's, being, uh, who's going on the ISS tomorrow night. Uh, that's pretty cool. And they're opening up late and we're having a big thing. Yes. Shout about that. That's not marketing. That is like sharing that there's a cool event happening. And there, there's that time. And I always say to people, when you're, when you're about to write a tweet out, 
one, would your mom understand it? Two, would she care? If your own mother wouldn't, then probably it's not going to go well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a wonderful piece of advice. And with that, we're going to close the show. Uh, Mar, it has been fabulous talking with you. Um, You just, uh, uh, I'm so inspired and I can appreciate now even more all of the great things that you are doing for the museum community. Thank you for being among us and caring so passionately. And thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And we will be back uh, next week with another uh, edition of Museum Life. This is the first program in the new year. So happy 2016. And I'm looking forward to another year uh, with all my fabulous listeners. So stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. <laughs>